John's Gospel is one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. John the writer was there with Jesus when he saw these things happen and wrote them for us that we might uh, know what happened. So John chapter 9, reading at verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man born blind, or blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of him might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. It just strikes me as I read this again how uh, powerfully this has the ring of eyewitness testimony. Verse 13, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They're talking about Jesus. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What? Do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. And the man who had been healed said, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, I now see. He said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. What do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he is from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and those who do not see may see, and those who may see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Amen. Now another powerful chapter in John's Gospel There are some headings. I hope they're helpful on the back of the service sheet. But let's take a moment first to pray, asking for God's help that we might understand and be changed by Jesus' words. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak clearly to us all from your word. If our eyes have been opened by Jesus to see and understand who he is, may we even more deeply appreciate and more willingly and thankfully respond in worship to the amazing grace that has saved a wretch like me, lost and now found, blind and now seeing. And we pray that the testimony of this ordinary man who stood courageously for Jesus, sent out into the world as a believer, a changed man, may his testimony be our inspiration and our encouragement. And if we are still spiritually blind, whether we know it or not, will you today show us that we are? And Lord, as we try, as we do to screw our eyes shut, to block out the light, may you keep our eyes open, shine the light into our minds and hearts. that we might be converted to Christ for your own sake, Lord Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. Now, these chapters in John have been full of powerful teaching from Jesus as he establishes his identity, who he is, and his mission, why he has come. Strong claims from Jesus, life-changing claims for those who hear and heed them. But the more common reaction we have seen in these chapters in John, and if they're new to you, read them, 5 through 10, the more common reaction is hostility against Jesus, rejecting what he says and rejecting him. 
We might think that many people in the world are neutral when it comes to Jesus. They are neutral when it comes to what they think or who they think he is. But when people, in whatever way, come up against the real Jesus, when they listen to the words of the real Jesus from the Bible, when they hear the testimony of a real Christian, they end up in two places, either quickly or in the end. They are either all for him or all against him. They are either all for him or violently against him. Because of what he asks of us and because of what he offers to us. Now, Jesus has made some big claims in these chapters. Chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. The aching hunger pangs of the soul satisfied in Jesus' body alone. He is the bread of life. Nothing else satisfies. Only he can. Chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, he said, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The parched thirst of a slated soul that can never be quenched until we come to Jesus and drink of that life-giving stream. And then our thirst will be quenched and our souls revived for we live in him. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in the believer. Let me appeal to you, if you are not a Christian, that these claims of Jesus are true. I am the bread of life. You will never find satisfaction unless you, you come to me, Jesus said. I am the living water. You will never have your thirst, the, the parched, slated thirst of a human soul quenched unless you drink of the living water that is the Holy Spirit that I can give you. How do you know that is true? Allow your mind and heart to plumb the depths of your human soul in its darkness and the tragedies and the bleakness of life that you face or will face. And nothing, nothing will comfort you or satisfy you or quench you in this world. Jesus will, and countless millions of people will bear testimony to that. Now, the first heading on the sheet, Jesus, the light of the world, makes a blind man see. The link between chapters 8 and 9 is clear. Do listen to Roger's sermon last week on the kind of theology and the debate going on in the temple in chapter 8, all around the words on the claim of Jesus, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I have come to shine light into the darkness of the human soul 
And that light is life-giving. That's his claim. And it's all manner of debate goes on in chapter 8. Just look at the end of chapter 8. It's remarkable. Chapter 8, verse 59. And remember these videos that you watched. Chapter 8, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They picked up stones then. They pick up stones still to throw at him. Is that not striking and shocking? So what does Jesus do? He retreats from the hostility of words, fair enough. He retreats from the debate in the temple about whether or not he is the light of the world and he walks out of the temple. What does he do? He makes a blind man see. He makes a blind man see. He comes onto the ground of real life and he makes a blind man see. The light of the world shines with brilliance into an ordinary life. while they picked up stones to throw at him. And you see, the two things run so closely together. The the last words of that video were so powerful. And yet, all over the world, the church is growing. While they picked up stones, Jesus makes blind men and women see. Now, read with me from verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And that his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, the disciples' question as to whether the man's blindness was the result of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus gives a clear answer. No, it wasn't. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus isn't saying that as a kind of setup to say, you know, I've, God has made this man blind and has put him here in order for me to display my glory and my identity in this new creation miracle. I mean, just think of the, the face of it. It wouldn't be long before Jesus went on his way and he saw a man blind or paralyzed or demon-possessed. It wouldn't be long. He's just saying... In God's providence, I walked out of the temple, walked down the street, and there he was. And I saw him, Jesus says. Notice, though, the urgency in John's text. Look at verse 4. It strikes a note of urgency. We must, walk the, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Jesus' words. Night is coming when no one can walk. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We've heard a note of urgency like that before. Back in chapter 7, Jesus said, Then I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. And what he's doing in these verses is talking about the short time he will remain with his close disciples. Then he goes to the cross, to the resurrection, back to the Father. And he needs them to understand Now, this is not saying that when Jesus is with God as he is now and his spirit is on the earth, that there are not opportunities for us to respond to Jesus. Of course there are. But what what we need to take from this is the urgency. The urgency. 
the urgency that when the light shines into your life, it might not shine forever. Yesterday at uh, the wedding, Ian and Leanna, uh, Ian working here and, and Leanna, a part of the church, it was a great day. Um, it was agreed in the preparation for the wedding that I would get the privilege because it was too hard for Liana's father to do it, to talk about her brother Carl, who died two years ago of leukemia in his mid-20s. It's my privilege, and I, I say that in all sincerity. Did it matter that when the light shone into Carl's life, he thought, this is important, I need to respond? This morning, in the first service, we... Uh, dedicated uh, little Evie. She was so sweet with me that I publicly suggested I'd like to take her home. (laughs) There were two godparents standing up here as the child was dedicated. Rachel Craig and Andrew Latham, who arrived 10 minutes late for the service. But Ryan wasn't there because Ryan died in the summer, age 22. Did it matter? when the light of the world shone into Ryan's life, that he responded. For who knows what tomorrow will bring? There was a man at the end of the first service who hears the gospel again and again. I don't mind if you tell him. And I looked at him, as I always do, and I said, today, name, I used his name, and he said, to me, not yet. Now, the big claims Jesus has made in these uh, chapters, no bigger than this, I am the light of the world. An urgent claim. Now, it is an extraordinary miracle that he performs physically in this man's life. Uh, Notice how the text emphasizes that he had been blind from birth. So you see it in verse 1, verse 2, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 32. Just read that with me, verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard. Uh, Let me just slow down because you're all turning the page. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. I mean, these are the nature of the miracles that Jesus does. Never in the history of humanity has somebody made a man who was blind from birth at sea. Jesus is not restoring sight that has been lost. He is giving sight that has never been there. When you become a Christian, Jesus is not restoring a bit of righteousness that is enough to gain eternity with God that is recessed in some part of your mind or your heart or your life. He is giving to you what has never been there since you were birthed. That's conversion. That's why a blind man from birth sees 
That's what a Christian is, a blind man or woman from birth into whose life the Holy Spirit shines the light of illumination so that they turn to Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's what makes salvation 100% the grace and the mercy of God. That's what makes salvation able to give us 100% assurance in the face of anything, even death. Notice how Jesus does it. Why didn't he say, see? Or why didn't he touch his eyes as he does elsewhere in the Gospels? Why did he spit on the ground? Why did he spit into the dust of the earth and take the dust of the earth and rub it in the man's eyes? Because from dust we came and from dust we will return. And Jesus will resurrect the physical dust of our decayed bodies in the grave and the the dust, if you like, of our souls. He gives us back now and makes it living dust, creation within us by His Holy Spirit. And then these wonderful words, uh, He said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So He went and He washed and He came back seeing. There's a, 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 there's a, a bit of directness from John, the, the preacher here, Yes, we've had all this theology. You've listened for years. Go home, get on your knees, ask Jesus to be your Savior, and come back and tell me when you've done it. There's a bit of that here. Just do it. Jesus, the light of the world, makes this blind man see physically. Why? Now, he does the physical miracles here, and they're extraordinary miracles. He needs to do that. To, to, to show who he is as the Son of God and the Son of Man. He does it to show us what the world to come will be like. When everyone will see perfectly, there will be no mourning or crying or sickness or health or any of that stuff. But in this life, what happened in this man's heart and mind is far more important than what happened to his eyes. Jesus does not have a conversation with him about how wonderful it is that he now sees trees. Jesus has a conversation with him about how wonderful it is that he sees who Jesus is. See, that's how it works. Now let's look at the spiritual side of it. Jesus enables him to see physically, but also spiritually. And notice how he comes to spiritual sight. Notice the progression. Verse 10. So they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Now, what is he saying there? There was a man called Jesus who lived in history that I read about in John's gospel, who did extraordinary things that I have come to accept with all the empirical evidence, the way this reads, all the documentary evidence that he did these things. A man called Jesus did these things. Verse 17, so they again said to the blind man, 
What do you say about him since he opened his eyes? He said, verse 17, he's a prophet. That's a big step. Later on, verse 33, he said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Then the next step, Jesus heard they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. That is the progression of someone from darkness into light and salvation. He is a man. He is a prophet. He is from God. He is Jesus. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Where does Islam stop? He is a man. He is a prophet. He is from God. He is the Son of God. And he worshipped him. Now, just uh, to note, uh, in verses uh, 36 and 7 and 8, uh, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Let me just explain to you what that is. It's the, the great uh, messianic prophecy in Daniel 7, the King of God's everlasting kingdom. Let me just read it to you from Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. That is who Jesus is. And this man came to understand that that prophecy was standing before his eyes that had been opened Now, what happens at conversion is that you sit and listen to Jesus' words and you realize that the person of whom you are reading and of whom I am speaking is Jesus. And he's saying to you, go and come back and you will see. And go and come back and you will see means in the context of John's gospel, go to the cross and lay hold of salvation and you will see. Now, the most important thing I have to say today from God's word here is this. How did that man come to understand? How did you come to understand here? How did you come to understand who Jesus is if you were a Christian? How did you come to see? Did you have one iota of merit? Did you have some lurking divine spirit within you that had just been suppressed? You came to see because of the amazing grace of God. You and I were no better than John Newton who bought and sold slaves. Maybe you think you were. You and I were no better than the Apostle Paul 
who, like Newton, shared the words, wretched man that I am, that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace. And why is it that the Lord Jesus gives us such boring and ordinary examples of disciples in the Gospels like this man who doesn't even get a name? Because the people he loves to save are boring, ordinary people like us. Wretched, wretched sinners. Saved by grace. You might say, well, why is he saying that stuff about wretched singers? Because, well, the Bible says it all the time, but we've got to come to terms with that. Otherwise, we're not saved. I don't think there's anyone in this narrative, these religious leaders or this man, who didn't come to terms with the fact that Jesus had performed this miracle and that he was a prophet. But there comes a point where the seesaw swings one way or the other. Will I accept that I am a wretched sinner? Am I like the man who who knows I am blind and I desperately want my eyes to be open? Or am I a man who thinks he sees and will not accept that he is blind? And then these words... And for many of us, this is true. How did we come to understand who Jesus is? Well, we would sing and sing with our hearts as we will at the end of the service. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. And then these words, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. One of the devil's great strategies in the Christian life when you get to 30 and 40 and 50 years in, or five years in, is to rob you of the precious, 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 precious memory of grace when it dawned upon your heart and life. Yesterday in the wedding, Roger preached on the the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. Precious, precious thing. Now, let's consider uh, the reaction from the religious uh, leaders. You're all uh, sighing because this is point two of four, and uh, many of you who come regularly will know that I managed to preach a three-point sermon with equal points, allocated the points once in the last ten years, which was three weeks ago. So I'm back to the usual mess again. I'm not going to dwell on the the hostile reaction from those leaders because it's everywhere in this passage, and you watched it on a video it's exactly the same stuff, isn't it? It's a blindness. And what, what riles people who oppose Jesus and his people is that the people that they oppose do not abandon their faith in Jesus. Because they can't. Because Jesus lives in them. It's a bit like a, an inextinguishable flame can be dampened and even nearly put out. But wherever it is dampened in the world, it pops up again. And in a life. Just look at the reaction. The stuff in verses 8 through 12 is just normal. 
Isn't that the man who used to sit and beg? Yes. No, it can't be him. It looks like him. I am him. That's just normal stuff, isn't it? Verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees. How did you receive your sight? And then this kind of pathetic bit. He can't be from God because he needed, you know, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, mud with saliva on the Sabbath. That's illegal. He can't be, that's just, it's just. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blinded and received his sight until they called the parents of the man. Notice that. They did not believe that this man who had been blind for birth could now see until they called the parents. And from that moment, they accepted that Jesus had done this. Isn't that astonishing? People do not believe in Jesus when they come to believe in his miracles. They believe in Jesus when they come to believe in their sin and his salvation. That's why the gospel accounts, Mark's gospel, that I know best of the four, Mark's gospel does not begin with who Jesus is. It begins with the message Son, your sins are forgiven. And then they say, um, where is it? Verse 28, they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, Jesus' disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Now, I don't want to parody the religious leadership, the Jews here. I was saying in the first service and they were sitting in front of me, we have converted Jews in the congregation who are a great blessing to us. They loved Jesus as their Messiah. As did Peter and John and all these other Jews. Any form of religion without Jesus. Christian religion without Jesus as the Messiah and Lord will turn against Jesus and his people in the end. Any form of religion without Jesus you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We will extol Jesus as a man and as a prophet, but we will not have him as our Savior and our Lord and as God. Their hostility and hatred is frightening. And notice as the man's understanding grows to the point of worship, their hostility grows to the point of casting that man out because, quote, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? Would you teach us? And notice too that their hostility is not directed against Jesus in this passage but against the newly converted and the parents of the newly converted. I mean, how wicked is that? People will rarely take on God or Jesus. They will take out his people. And that happens in, and it's very appropriate, we had the video today. We need to be aware of our brothers and sisters around the world that we might pray for them. But having said and seen all of that, we're ex aware of this in our own culture more and more, and just in the dynamics of when somebody is converted, we often have 
experience of that, families hostile. And the hostility is directed against us as Christians, not against Jesus. The hostility in our press increasingly regarding Christian things is not directed against Jesus, is it? It's directed against Christians. It is normal, hostility. It is irrational. Hostility against his followers is normal and irrational. It comes from the world, it comes from the church, it comes from outside and from the inside. How does it come from the church? Religion without Jesus. Religion without Jesus. Religion without accepting the Jesus that is revealed to us in the Bible and his message. Now, here's a powerful thing and the Word of God builds us up as it challenges us with reality. Surely, that kind of opposition should break us. Say a student who is converted at uni, who goes home, and their parents, who love them very much, really cannot and will not accept their conversion. Surely that means that the conversion is thrown over. No, why not? Surely these people on these videos should abandon their faith. But they don't. Why not? Surely in our country, in a different way, those of us who seek to hold to a simple biblical gospel, the real Jesus of Scripture, should change the message. It would be easier Let's look then, number three, at the extraordinary testimony from this man. Surely the hostility he faced should have broken him, but it didn't. Why? Because how did he see in the first place? Because of the amazing grace of God. How did he keep seeing? Because of the amazing grace of God. How did he keep going? Because of the sustaining grace of God. The grace that is enough to save us is the grace that is enough to embolden us, to give us courage, to give us wisdom, to give us strength in the face of opposition and antagonism. It doesn't always give us the answers to the questions. It gives us the spirit of Jesus and the testimony that silences the questionnaire. His dialogue with the religious leaders who are vastly superior to him in knowledge. And yet, that wonderful statement at the end of verse 24, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, and what a wonderful answer it is. Look, I just cannot answer your questions. I am not going to persuade you. But one thing I know that I was blind, but now I see. One thing I know, I never understood who Jesus is, but now I worship him with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. And, and I cannot tell you, I cannot answer your questions. I cannot prove it to you. And if it helps you, if you're not a Christian, this punter up here, I can't answer your questions, even though I'm a professional minister. 
But the one thing I can say to you with all my heart is I was blind, but now I see. That's my testimony as a minister. I was as blind as a bat, but now I see because of Jesus. Notice the, the man is not being sarcastic in verse 27. One of my Bible commentaries says being sarcastic. He's not. I have told you already, verse 27, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Is that him being sarcastic in the face of his persecutors? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said to the prison guards? Isn't that what these men and women in these videos will say in the face of those who persecute them? Is it that you are persecuting me because you want to believe? And miraculously, time and again, that is exactly what God is doing in their hearts and they come to believe. Like Saul did when he became Paul. Have you responded to antagonism in our easy Western culture with that? When someone knocks you as a Christian, say, is it that you want what I have? Do you want to believe? Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God has not listened to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens. Never since the world began, never since the world began, has anyone like Jesus entered the stage of human history and did what he did and said what he said and gave his life and rose again. Never in the stage of human history has anyone done anything like that and they cast him out. So how does chapter 8 end? They try to stone Jesus. How does chapter 9 end? Nearly end. They cast out this man. Nearly end. Let's come to the end. And I've called it a beautiful saviour and a severe judge. We sang that wonderful hymn, A Beautiful Saviour. And when you have words like beautiful saviour in a song, it doesn't mean that they can be sentimental or cheap. He is a beautiful saviour. Look what he does here. Verse 38, Jesus heard that they had cast the man out. It's almost like in the conversation, Peter says to John, do you know that man, what they did to him, that Jesus healed? They cast him out of the temple. And Jesus goes, what's that you're saying, Peter? They did what? And Jesus went to find him. Jesus went to find him. That's a beautiful picture of Jesus. A kind and compassionate saviour who heard that this man had been cast out and he went to him and he found him. Such is the nature, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus from glory knows intimately the lives of all these people you saw on these pictures. And by his Holy Spirit, as we pray for them in their difficulties, he comes to them and comforts them and strengthens them. So they do not disown him. 
He is a beautiful Savior, and He is a severe judge. Jesus said, verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near Him heard these things and said to Him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now, just to encourage you, I spent about 400 hours this week trying to work out what that means. I think what he's saying is this. He is distinguishing between those who know they are blind and want to see and those who think they already see but are actually blind. That's spot on, isn't it? That's life. And over time, with constant rejection and hostility directed against Jesus, you know, it takes a long time for people to see and come to the point when they say, Son of man, Son of God, I worship you. But, But the people on that journey are not closing their eyes shut to the light. It just takes time for the light to come into their lives. Or it might come in an instant. But if you think you can see, and when Jesus shines into your light, And if you are sitting here listening, not to my fumbled words, but Jesus' words, and screwing up your eyes tight shut and saying, I will not have him on his terms, sooner or later, either your life will end and the opportunity goes, or the light of the world will compound your darkness. And you will suddenly discover with your eyes screwed tightly shut that the Holy Spirit is no longer trying to prize them open on a Sunday and you hear nothing. That's what he means when he says, your guilt remains. Why did Jesus say, pray for those who persecute you? Because he is so gracious that he will not blind the eyes of those who think they see, even when they persecute his children. For as long as his grace can bear it. And that's why in the end, Jesus will come back from heaven and there will be a new creation because our Savior's heart can no longer bear the pain of this world any longer. but he'll keep pushing the gospel into these countries. And maybe when North Korea sees the kind of revival that South Korea has seen, Jesus will say that it's time to go back. Please do not screw your eyes shut. Let me finish with these words. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, He's standing in front of you. Isn't that powerful stuff? You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, We always think that the great confession in John's Gospel is Thomas. He stuck his fingers in the nails, and he stuck his hands in the feet, and poked his arm into the side of Jesus. It's gruesome stuff. And he said, Lord of my God, and he worshipped him. There are many who will not see and believe. Here we have him, this man with no name. 
who said, Lord Jesus, I believe, and he worshipped him. The ordinary convert, like you and me, every convert has a chapter in God's salvation story that is a very precious testimony. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, thank you for the living words of Jesus that are timeless and that are powerful. Thank you for those of us who have had our eyes open to see who Jesus is, for the glorious, glorious, glorious truth of all that that means, wretched, wretched sinner that we are. Help us to live a life of boldness, of wisdom, loyal to Jesus to the last. Help us to bear the burdens and struggles and challenges of our brothers and sisters across the globe for whom this is much, much, much tougher. Help their testimony to inspire us to punch out and to break through the testimony, the, 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 the opposition in our context of apathy with the real message. Help us to believe that people, even though they may oppose us, want to believe, want the answers that the bread of life, the living water, and the light of the world can answer. And Lord, those of us here who are maybe listening online, open our eyes to see and lead us to the cross that we may lay hold of forgiveness and salvation and life in Jesus.